This is Life of an Architect, a podcast dedicated to all things architecture with a little bit of life thrown in for balance. Take a look around and you are likely to see what I see. Read the emails I receive and you're likely to start believing it as well. People, which includes architects, seem to be a fairly unhappy group at the moment. And we're going to see what we can do about it. Are we going to get a little philosophical on you? Probably. Welcome to episode 103, Architects in the Art of Being Happy. Welcome to the Life of an Architect podcast. I'm Bob Borson. And I'm Andrew Hawkins. And today, Andrew and I are going to talk about happiness within the state of architectural practice, even though I don't think this conversation at the level we'll probably be talking about is really specific to architects. It just happens to be the lens through which I see things. So that's the context that we're starting with today. And it's not rose-colored lenses. No. You know what? <sighs> okay, so Andrew and I are recording this topic, which we decided on essentially like yesterday to a certain extent. And so I've been scrambling to get my notes together and organize my thoughts. And the reason why we're doing this is because we were having a chat. The episode that we were going to be recording for this 103 episode got pushed off. So we're like, okay, well, let's come up with a new one. And so when we do that, we kind of start the process of saying, well, what's happening in our lives? What's happening in our practice? What's happening in the schools? What are the things that are foremost and the things that kind of shape our days? And I was like, you know what? I got given a lot of emails from people that are unhappy. We did that episode on burnout. People are working all the time. They're feeling undercompensated. I mean, it's really not any different than what it normally is, but it seems like everybody's so busy right now that it's manifesting itself in lots of negative ways. And Part of the reason it's negative is because other firms are reaching out to my employees saying, hey, come leave this hell hole where you work and come to this place of nirvana and milk and honey where we'll pay you three times more than what you're currently making and you'll only work four hours a week. You know, it's like everybody's trying to sell how great their office is. And so it's making people look inwardly to their own situation and everyone's just being negative about stuff. So I thought, let's talk about the art of being happy, because I got to tell you, I don't think a lot of architects are happy at the moment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not many. Yeah, and You know, and I don't know if it's post-COVID hangover, which that's a bullet point for later for a topic. Sure. But yeah, I've been thinking about this topic, and let's just kick off the conversation this way. So I've been thinking about being happy. It's something that I won't say that I've struggled with, but it's something that I'm not good at. Like, I'm not good at taking compliments. I have this thing. So oh, I'll put it this way. When I was 30 years old, I went to a therapist because I was like, I'm super unhappy. By all measurable standards, my career was killing it at that time. When I was 30, things were going great. And I went to see this therapist and I said, I can't be happy. Why can't I be happy? I mean, I'm doing everything that I want to do and I have all these goals and I'm getting all my goals. I'm accomplishing all this stuff and I'm miserable. And like, even when I set a goal for myself, Literally, as soon as I accomplished it, I'm already looking to the next goal. I never was able to take a moment and relish the achievement or the accomplishment that I'd set out for myself. And as a result, I was always in this state of what's next? Like, this isn't good enough. There's the next thing I have to do. Always. Yeah. It was exhausting and it was making me miserable, quite honestly. I'm not sure how much that's changed, but maybe in your brain it has. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, that's what makes this interesting. So back then I started reading these books and I started looking at it to try to put myself in a different mental place because 
there were certain life lessons. And I've talked about a lot of these life lessons on the show. One of them had to do with golden handcuffs. This was about the time when, you know, one of the problems I was thinking, I don't make enough money. That Maybe that's part of the root of my unhappiness is I grew up a certain way. And, and I was like, if I made more money, life would clearly be better for me. And I learned very quickly that that was not the case. In that post about golden handcuffs, I left one job to take another one and they gave me a huge bump in salary. I lasted four months in that job and I quit because it was literally the worst job ever, number one. And number, and number <laughs> yeah. two, I didn't want to get used to the extra money to all of a sudden find myself that I couldn't leave because nobody else would be willing to pay me that huge of a salary amount. So I left that job after four months and took a job with a lower salary. I mean, it was more than the job I left to take that job, but... Sure, but not, not the same. Nevertheless, it was less money. That moment I went, you will not find happiness through money. Money's great. Look, I wish I had more of it too. I think we all do. Yeah. I don't think it's going to make the difference that everybody thinks it is. As we were talking about this, I was doing some reading yesterday about it's that idea of now that we're the one of the most economically advanced nations, but yet as a general rule, we're still fairly unhappy. But it's this thing about once you get to a certain level, you just want more. You need that more to make you happy as far as money goes. When you make money, once you get to a certain point, it's okay for a while, but then you just want more because you feel like that's what you need to make yourself happy and do these other things. And da, da, da. it's like this endless cycle. Yeah. I wrote some notes about one of the books that I kind of was flipping through back in my 30s when I was going through this. You know, one of the articles I wrote here on the site back in 2015 was titled Happiness and Being an Architect. I pulled it up. It's got 62 comments on it as of this moment right now, which that number of engagement falls into the quite a lot category. I mean, it's a lot of people commenting in 62, quite honestly, at least from my site. <laughs> yeah, it makes me laugh because it's a post that has zero images. There's no pictures and there's very few words. Yeah. It was wild. It's one of the me. shortest like... posts I've written. It's like barely <laughs> 500 words. But that post had to do with people who had reached out to me. I don't know what it was like a particular time. And I was getting all these emails from people that were just absolutely miserable. And they were miserable because they all fell into one of three categories. They were either wanted to be an architect and they weren't. Meaning I'm a 47-year-old accountant and I hate my life and I wish I had gone and become an architect, which was my dream when I was 18 years old. Mm. Or they were currently studying to be an architect and they were struggling or they weren't doing well and they go into school and they're like, I'm a smart person. I make good grades. And then I go into this program and I'm terrible and I'm at the bottom of my class and like, what do I need to do to get better? And they're miserable. The third category was they are an architect and they don't like it or they think they're simply doing something wrong. Like if I just do this, then I'll be happy. So that post turned into a conversation that reflected one of the books I'm about to get into about giving up on a dream and how hard that is. And you would know if you've ever had a dream, you know how hard it is if you have to give up on it. And especially if this dream is something that is tied into how you see yourself, which let's be honest, most architects associate who they are with what they do to a far greater extent. Like most people who are pick almost any other profession and I go, who are you? They go, well, I'm a father, I'm a Christian or, you know, they define themselves in many different ways. If you ask an architect, who are you? They'll go, I'm an architect, period. That's the end of it. I'm done. That yeah. happens m more times than. Now, I know, don't come at me for that person that goes, I don't do that. Obviously, not everybody does that, but. No, no, no. Yeah, of course. It, what makes me laugh is the people that I think are like that are like attorneys, doctors, other people that have a similar sort of career path to you. Because, I mean, I'm like, well, 
Yeah, my accountant would never say, oh, I'm an accountant. Yeah. Some other business person are not going to be like, oh, well, you know, I'm a real estate agent. Oh, they're going to be like, no, I'm this, I'm that, I'm that, I'm that, whatever. But when you said that, the first few things that popped in my head were like, hmm, doctors and lawyers. Yeah. <laughs> well, and those are the two groups that whenever an architect reaches out to me and they're unhappy about something, and it typically has to do with what we do is hard and I put a lot of time to become this thing and I don't make any money and I compare myself to my lawyer friends and my doctor friends. Sure, sure. Which exhausts me. And I actually asked one of the people I work with yesterday, and he instantly brought this conversation about being happy to, well, if we got more compensation, then things would be better for everybody. And I go, one, I categorically don't agree with that. I agree that everybody wants more money. I mean, that's low-hanging fruit. Everybody. I don't care what your job is. Everybody wants to make more. Yeah, no matter what you do. Sure. So I kind of push that to the side. For him to say, whatever ills or whatever unhappiness he has, I go, eventually that's just going to be what you make. And then like you said earlier, now you want more. You want to, ooh, now I got enough money to take a vacation from Texas to Florida. Now you're like, ooh, now I want to go to Spain. And then I want to take two weeks vacation, not one week. I mean, there's always a moving bar. Yeah. And then I want to go to Fiji. And then I want to spend a month in Fiji. And then, you know, it just keeps going. So that post about the people who want to be an architect or aren't, or they're struggling and giving up on a dream. I was like, I hate to say this, but it seems really obvious. You know, I've had this phrase that I've started saying recently because I heard it. I've heard it before, but somehow it's in the front of my brain. It has to do with when you hear hooves, it's probably not a zebra. Mm-hmm. You know, and the idea that yeah, sometimes the answer is really obvious. Well, I hear hooves. It's probably a horse, probably a horse. And they're like, mm, it could be, it could be a zebra. And you're like, it's not a zebra. Yeah. It's probably not that. So we have these answers and I go, if this job is making you miserable, maybe you shouldn't be doing this job. Mm-hmm. And that that's hard because that means you're giving up on something that, like I said earlier, most people associate themselves as an architect with what they do and like, it's really hard and I don't want to fail at it. And it's, I mean, this is a really, really big deal, but it's, it's kind of straightforward. If, if you hate it, if it makes you miserable and you're always looking at, oh, my architect buddies are all miserable and they don't make enough money, but all my lawyer buddies are completely blissful. And they make all the money. No, it's not. But maybe you should go be an attorney then. Yeah. Or at a minimum, go talk to them and realize they're probably not that happy either. And they wish they made more money. And they're almost as miserable as you are, at least in some way. The other thing I would add to that conversation, though, about it is that I think it's long-term miserableness. I don't know if that's the Just word. misery. Long-term misery. Yeah. There we go. Misery. <laughs> if <laughs> I think it's got to be that. Can't be just like, oh, today was a really crappy day. I'm going to quit what I'm doing. Hopefully, we all realize that. But- I think it's at the point where you just go several, several months without having any sort of moments of joy in your office or at, at work. Yeah, the systemic agony of yeah. going to work. I think that's a thing. Because, I mean, everybody hates going to work every once in a while or maybe even every day. But, you know, it's still. <laughs> I hope not every day. Well, but I mean, again, look, I don't want to get up and go to work. That's just me. Mm-hmm. But once I'm there and good things happen or, you know, I can find some parts of every day, right? That I think this was a good day and I did something good. I think that's what's important. I think that's part of this idea of happiness, and I guess we're going to get into it some more. But yeah, it's long-term. But I can understand I'm about to teach what we call a career change course this summer. Those are people, (laughs) you know, what you're talking about is 30-year-old people that have been working, doing something else, and decide, I'm going to be an architect. And so they end up coming into our master's program and no idea about architecture, really. And they're going to get a degree in architecture now after they've done something else and got a different degree in something else beforehand. Yeah, we're going to have to have some conversations about that because that sounds cool. Yeah, it should be interesting. But hard, right? It is. It's very hard for them, I think. 
It's always interesting they bring a different perspective to things. So if you're thinking about that, realize that there is a path and you actually can look at things differently than we do sometimes. So those of us that have been an architect since we were 18, you know, like right into architect. Anyway, rabbit hole. Sorry, sorry. A little bit, but that's fine. So I hate to call it a book. It's really a book, which is a collection of essays. And it was by German philosopher Schopenhauer, who basically kind of wrote this whole thing. And it's about the art of being happy. Rules of life to achieve bliss. I mean, these things. And what I find wildly interesting about this is that he influenced a lot of really, really great thinkers, great philosophers. He's recognized as being a genius. And one of the things he's known for is this, the art of being happiness philosophy. But he was known as being like the most downer of a guy ever. (laughs) Yeah, I was looking it up and it's like, the subtitle of this thing is renowned for his pessimism. Arthur Schopenhauer was nonetheless the connoisseur of a very distinctive kind of happiness. Yes. One of his nickname was <laughs> the Prince of Pessimism, you know? <laughs> and this is the guy that I turned to in my 30s to go, okay, well, what am I missing here? How can yeah. I look at things differently? And what's amazing is if I tap the brakes every now and then when I'm in one of those funks and I just kind of think back on how you look at things, I go, this guy was killing it. Because one of the things that I highlighted in the book had to do with happiness is an illusion. Suffering and pain is the reality. I mean, this is the primer for this whole thing. And I go, oh, God, what am I getting myself into? Even people like Aristotle, you know, he has a, I don't know what it's called a quote because nobody, I mean, he's attributed (laughs) with having said, yes, the aim of the wise is not to secure pleasure, but to avoid pain. Mm. And that's kind of a very fundamental, different difference in thinking about how most of the people that I deal with certainly below a certain age it's all about how can I make things more awesome it's always this pursuit of coolness and greatness and awesomeness and happiness this kind of thing and some of the most renowned thinkers they're like now if your goal is to chase happiness you will always be miserable because it has to do with the search for happiness is actually what causes you the pain and suffering because If you can't enjoy the present moment without searching for any kind of joyful state of being, then you're basically guaranteeing that you're going to be unhappy. And I go, that's obviously a very philosophical way of looking at how do you achieve happiness is by avoiding it to a a certain extent. By not seeking it. Yeah, by not trying to get it. Yeah, not trying to find it. You know, and one of the things, and and I was debating whether I should bring this up in my conversation with my coworker yesterday who was saying, if we just got paid more, things would be better. And that's a simplification of what our conversation was. But when you compare yourself to other people, that's a type of jealousy, comparison. Mm -hmm, And it leads to a certain type of misunderstanding because if we want everything and we want to be able to do everything, we forget about what we're able to let go of so that we can enjoy other things. like. If I spend my time looking at the awesomeness you're having, I'm not in my own moment enjoying the awesomeness that I have. Yeah. Or being able to create the awesomeness that I want. It's sort of like you're distracted. Yeah. And taken out of the present, like you were talking about. Well, he actually has this. Jealousy's bad because, and I'm oversimplifying this in the best way that I can, but jealousy should be avoided because it leads to you being hesitant about following your own path. If you just look to see what someone else is doing, then maybe you're going down a path you shouldn't be going down, which is part of why I found this series of essays in the first place, because when I was in my early 30s and I was going to see this therapist about why can I ever recognize the moment and be happy in the moment, it's because I was always looking at the next thing. 
I never got to like the island of happiness, which was what my brain was telling me. Yeah. If you can't enjoy the journey, you're never going to be able, you're never going to get there. You're never going to get there. So I thought after that long downer of an intro to our subject, <laughs> I think we should talk a little bit about why we think people are unhappy. At least, I don't know how many people that you engage with or talk to about it. And I know that you did some research to find out that in general, it seems like people aren't unhappy, but the numbers suggest that architects could make up every bit of the unhappiness and there's still a lot of room <laughs> for leftovers. Yeah. I was looking at those numbers and most of the things I found looking at statistics, even from the most current was February of 2022, which, you know, that's post mid, whatever pandemic numbers, I'm sure that only 10% of the working population, 8% is unsatisfied is what it says, unsatisfied with their job, current job or career. And so if we look at that, the numbers, current workforce numbers in the United States, I'm just talking U.S. here, was 161.2 million people in the workforce. So even if we took 10% of that, that's 16 million or something like that. Yeah. And so based on that number, that's still a lot of people. And then if you go and you look at to see, well, how many people are actually in the architectural workforce in the United States? It's something like 400,000 or something like that. So everybody in architecture could be unsatisfied with their jobs in that poll and still not even be making a dent in the overall or unsatisfaction of the work. Yeah. It's possible that every architect is angry and unsatisfied, but the rest of the world is good. There's still plenty of room for other stuff. So I couldn't find anything directly about architecture. So it's just overall job. Statistics. Well, we know that architects, other than just people who work with me or that I associate with or sit on committees with whatever are struggling with certain things. Cause when we did the burnout episode four or five episodes ago, we did a poll. And the numbers that came back, we had like 600 people respond to it. And it was things like, have you experienced burnout in the last 12 months? 86% said yes. And I don't think that burnout is a quality typically attributed to happiness. Yeah. Or job satisfaction. Yes. Yeah. It doesn't really work that way. Sure. I agree. Have your sleep habits changed? 75% said yes. Do you struggle finding balance? 79% said yes. These all support that. And I'll tell you what. These aren't people in my office answering this poll, by the way. <laughs> these, are, <laughs> these are people everywhere. These are people responding that aren't even specific to the United States. So I, I go, it's a little bit different. And if I go, well, why are architects unhappy? Well, if I look around from what I know and recruiters that reach out to me and people that are trying to find jobs, and I know that people in our office are like going, well, there's so many people ringing me up. I have a woman that I work with. She's got two years experience. She got a call from a guy I know. And it wasn't from him. It was from a, a recruiter that his company had hired. Calling her at her desk saying, hey, we want to hire you for this senior architect position. She's got two years experience. And she took the call because they called her at her desk at the office. Oh, yeah. And she goes, uh, I've only got two years experience. And they're like, that's fine. We'll find a place for you. I was like, what? You know, it's like everybody's looking. That's wild. It starts planting all these seeds for people. So they start evaluating what they have and what they could get. So I go, is work hours an issue? Is salary an issue? What are the things that are contributing people to go, well, I could take this moment to change my station, which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing, mm -hmm. but I can tell you people are happy. They don't, they don't even take those calls if they're happy. Sure. I think it's interesting. Some of the research I did looking at this was talking about what most people in the workforce want. And again, this is not just to architecture. This is sort of nationwide people that are working. And one of the biggest things that right now that people are wanting or the top three was like remote work options, 
stipends for technology, your cell phone and a laptop, having a Wi-Fi at home and stuff if you're working remote. And then the other one was flexible off time, allowing me to have flexible days of PTO. I mean, I guess the stipend thing is kind of money related, but more salary wasn't the number one thing that they wanted from their job, which was an interesting thing as well. Okay, let's take a minute. I don't know, maybe we don't need to talk about it too much, but you know, one of the poll questions we asked in that burnout episode asked if remote work reduced burnout. And a small majority, but the majority said, no, remote work does not reduce burnout, which tells me, hey, people like it, but it's not a solution. And one of the things that we're dealing with in our office, like we're currently in the process of designing a new office space, and we're going to move from our current office to another spot. Mm -hmm. And I'm one of the people that's leading this process. And when we first started laying out plans, because we got a very talented group of interior designers and they do space plans all day long and they're very fast and very efficient at it. They start going, okay, well, we put this room here, this room there, and this room here. And I go, wait a minute, time out. Let's talk about the philosophy of what we're trying to accomplish here because I'm noticing when I walk through my office on any given moment, it feels half as populated as it normally does because we do work from home and PTO and it's summertime, so people are on holidays. And mm-hmm. there's been a cultural shift that's happened post-pandemic. People don't get together in the same room to have meetings anymore. They'll all be at their desk and we'll all do a Teams call, even though we all sit within 20 feet of one <laughs> another. Yeah, yeah. The culture has changed. The engagement has changed. And I think that people feel isolated. Mm. And I think that remote work is actually contributing to a certain sense of unhappiness. And I just think sometimes people are not associating this isolation with them being unhappy. They think, oh, if I had more work flexibility, more time to work from home, then that would be better. And I'm not convinced that that's true. I'm not convinced. Yeah, I don't know. I think it depends. The thing about that remote work, when they dug into that, the reason that most people wanted remote work was that they could have flexibility in their day. Well, that was the number two. Actually, the number one reason people wanted is no commute. But the second one was flexibility in their day and their work hours, to be able to get their eight hours in anytime they want. But I can agree when I was teaching class for 10 hours a day (laughs) during COVID from where I'm at right now, sitting at my kitchen workstation that's been here since the pandemic hit. (laughs) Right. The burnout was unbelievable. Again, it's I agree with you. I don't think that it decreases a sense of burnout. And I also agree. I mean, I can testify that it increases a sense of isolation for sure. I don't know that people would correlate those two things together or, or even think about it that way. But I mean, maybe for me, it's because most of the time when I was home doing that, I was home by myself, right? I don't have any other people running around. Right. But I think there is a connection there. And I think, and we talked about a little bit, that idea of isolation and lack of social interaction from the remote thing is still playing itself out as people have come back together, but not. And there's this whole whole half and half thing. And they got used to not interacting with people that much. They don't want to go back to it or they don't want to do it as much anymore, which I think is detrimental. Well, you know, we started... We didn't start it with any kind of altruistic goals. We just, you know, where I sit, I don't know how much in the weeds I want to get on it, but (laughs) when we spaced everyone out so they could socially distance when we started bringing people back into the office, we sat in rows and there were five people to a row. But then we changed the way people face so you're not breathing at each other. And then we changed the distance. So we went from five per row to four per row. Mm -hmm. And as we continue to grow... We've needed to take the rows were spaced apart at a certain distance that allowed us to put it's a high top. It's like a stand up table that's like twelve feet long. 
And it's like a collaboration space. And it's in every single one of these groups. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, as we've put more and more bodies in and we still want to go, well, we don't want you breathing on each other. We've been removing these high tops from all the spaces and putting workstations down the middle. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. how big the space in the middle was. The spot where I sit isn't wide enough to put a third row of desks in. So I still have the high top collaboration space in my area. I got you. Yeah. And guess what? We use it all the time and other people use it all the time. And on Fridays, we started doing high top happy hour. Mm. So on Fridays, we opened a bar and we started going, let's have some old fashions or whatever. And it's grown and it's grown. And now it's like a straight up bar on Friday afternoon, starting around four o'clock in the afternoon. At one point, I think yesterday, there were like 15 people hanging out, having a cocktail or, or not. You don't have to. It's not like mandatory. Yeah. But it was this social engagement thing. And it's like it keeps growing and growing and growing. And it suggests to me that, hey, us coming together and us being social and us having a good time and us laughing, that's kind of what's been missing a little bit, I think, in the last two years. It's mm-hmm. hard for people to come together, especially during the pandemic. And yeah. people are just, they're not having fun. Yeah. Now it's like they come to work and they just, they work and they go home. Like, where's the fun? I want to segue to our next section, which is titled, what makes you happy? What are the things that make you happy? And I don't mean like kittens, <laughs> even though <laughs> kittens are delightful. It's fields of puppies. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I put that down in there and I was talking at the high top happy hour yesterday. And this is one of the conversations we were having. Yeah. And I was talking about. And a little bit about what Schopenhauer talks about, and that is being in the moment and looking for the things that that you have that you can find happiness in. And I was like, you know what? I grilled these chicken drumsticks the other day, and they were amazing. And being able to recognize in that moment that this food is really delicious. Those kind of moments, I think, are really easy to just kind of blow through. But you can find these little small things that happen throughout your day that are all pretty cool. And I don't know that without some effort and energy or paying attention to it, that you notice those things or you recognize them for what they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you experience that? Which one? The doing or the not doing? <laughs> well, it's kind of both. Yeah. I mean, I would when say When you both. make your banana bread, you're like, oh man, this banana bread is amazing. Or do you yeah. just, it's just kind of a thing that you do? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. In the beginning, yeah, it was really like, ah, oh, this is awesome. This is so great. And now the more I do it, it's like, oh, I'm just getting it done. But if I wait a little bit in between and then I do it again, I'm like, oh, this is so great. I remember why I do it. It is having to be cognizant of that fact of I'm doing this and there's a reason why. And this is why it's because it's great. It makes me happy and it brings me a little bit of joy in my whatever the day is that's happening. Cut into that first slice right out of the oven where it's nice and warm and, you know, it's great. Do you eat the heel first? You cut it in no. a little bit and you're like, I'm taking an interior piece. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I cut the heel and then take the next that's piece. That's funny. That's the one I want because it's just like it's perfect right then. Again, looking at the Schopenhauer thing is about, I think, finding the balance between living in the present and thinking about the future. You can't just completely forget the future, but you got to find the right balance of living in the now and appreciating the now and just letting that be. Like you were talking about earlier, that was your problem is not being able to be happy when you accomplish the goal. Even if it's just for a day, be happy for a day or the night, the night, whatever you get, you get your deadline done. And yes, you might have 20 more coming down the pipe, but that's one of the things we used to do in my office. Like, I mean, deadline day, we hit the deadline. That was it. We stopped doing whatever we were doing and we'd go for a drink or something and be like, yep, it's done. We're good. Yeah. 
Even though we got to come back tomorrow and we know we've got three more deadlines, it doesn't matter. Today, right now, deadline. Done. It's funny that you said that because when I first started working at Poco Pal, that was something that they did. If they had a big issue, a big deadline, like something went out, big deal. When yeah. it went out, everybody went out. You didn't have to go, but everyone on that team would go out and have a beer or whatever, yeah. celebrate that moment. I mean, we're just done. Yeah. That doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. It occasionally happens, but it's because, well, like half the team might be working from home today or whatever the case <laughs> is. It's like getting people yeah. together is a little bit different. Yeah. You know, when I think about the things that make me happy, and this is something I've actively been trying to do for the last couple of months, is to identify those moments of happiness so that every day, a couple times a day, I have something I go, that was awesome. That was great. Right? Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter what it is. Rather yeah. than just going, oh, today was a grind. Something bad happens. I don't want my day defined by the one bad thing. I want to have some good things sprinkled sure, in. Sure, Yeah. And so when I look at the things that I go, where am I finding those moments of happiness? For me, it's music. It's one of the ones that I do. So I've been putting a lot of time into making playlists and like <laughs> making my jams, you know. And making some mixed CDs and some mixed I know it. I love it. It's something <laughs> I've always enjoyed doing. And yeah, I'll tell I you. I love nothing more than playing a song or introducing something to somebody that they've never heard before that they like. Like, mm, that makes yeah. me super, super happy. Yeah. And I will tell you, even right now, I'm like, nah, should I really tell people this? Like, I want this recording. So, <laughs> well, we can all right, it. here it is. I'm just going to say it. I'm just say it. I am a BTS fan. <laughs> the K-pop group. Yep, yep. I yeah. love them. I love them. That cracks me up. And I really did because my wife is a big fan. Mm. And which cracks me up even more, but yeah, I mean, she loves it. And so I go, you know what? I want to be a good partner and that kind of thing. And I'm going to give it a shot. And I like music. Yeah, sure. Listen to it. And so whether or not you like the music, which I do, but I will confess that I like them as human beings. Like they're all really good people and they do Mm. good things and they're doing things that it's not a boy band kind of thing. They just happen to all be, and they're men like the oldest guys like 30. They're not kids. Mm. Interesting. And so as I've learned more about who they are, it's made me appreciate the music differently, what they talk about and the topics that they discuss, that sort of thing. Well, they have a million things that you can watch on them. They have a bunch of shows that they do. And what I'm always amazed at, these guys are multi-mega millionaires. And they are the most humble. Like, they eat something. They're like, oh, my God, this is delicious. And they're like, they tell everybody, man, the food you just made is amazing. And I go, it's part of their culture is this respectful. and Sure. But everything that they do, it's like they love it. Yeah. And what I'm talking about, this is not just like, oh, it's curated. Like one of the programs they did is they stuck them out because of the pandemic and they had to cancel world tours. They're like, look, we have like 800 billion fans. We're literally the biggest group in the world. Can't go on tour. So how do we let our fans connect to us? And so they put them in the, this house. They rented this like compound. They put them in this house, put cameras everywhere, recorded like everything they did, how they engaged. And they're making their own food, whole thing. It's a hilarious show. but. They're so respectful. And they're like, this is amazing. Whatever they cook. And you're like, there's no way that's good. And they're like, it's delicious. You did such a good job. And I thought being happy and recognizing all these little moments, I think fundamentally changes how you go about your day and how you see things. And at the end of the day, when you kind of assess, you have 800 little things that you said yes to. And this was awesome. And takes the edge off the things that maybe weren't so great. Yeah. I'm going to have to admit, I, I know diddly about the BTS guys. I'm not passing judgment. I just, I've never listened to any music or anything. I mean, honestly, because- I'll take it. I can't say anything because I'm sure if I listen, I'd be like, oh, that's cool. But I do see them show up sometimes in my social, just at random. They do seem like they're always having fun and living life. 
that kind of puts the onerous of happiness on yourself, like what you're talking about. is It's up to you to figure that out and what makes you yeah. happy. And like I said, these guys have all the money in the world. Yeah. Like they're still making their own food and they feed each other. And they're like, this was great. <laughs> yeah. Not, That's funny. Hey, where's Jeeves with tonight's meal? There's none of that kind of stuff. Yeah. But the takeaway really from that is the when I said, oh, I grilled chicken the other night. It was really great. But taking that minute to go, you know what? This is really good. Or I kept thinking I should do an episode on the iPad that I bought at Christmas time because I use it literally all the time now. And I love it. And it's allowed me to change my workflow a little bit. So I get to sketch now even more than I used to be able to sketch. And I really enjoy that. I'm learning a new technology and I'm finding those tasks every day are happy moments for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you got to keep in mind the position I have in the firm that I at, I probably spend half of every day not doing architecture, but doing talent and retention and production and processing and doing administrative work. It's a lot different. Oh, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. yeah, I think the, I guess maybe it sounds corny, but in a way, I think some of this happiness thing is part to me of slowing down a little bit. You just got to kind of stop and make the effort and slow down enough to appreciate the stuff that you have or that you're doing. Mm-hmm. Instead of just rushing through it, rushing through it, rushing through it, just go, 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 go. You've got to slow down a little bit and soak in what's happening in the present. There's something to be said, I think, for just slowing down at certain times and being able to really appreciate the moment that you're in and what's happening. Whatever that is, if it's grilling stuff or if it's cooking food or if it's drawing on your iPad or sketching in a notebook or any of those kinds of things, I think it's about being able to slow it down and say, okay, this is really making me happy and it's right now and I'm going to live here for a little while. Well, you're saying your stuff. I'm saying my stuff. I'm hearing all this. And in the back corner of my head, I can hear listeners going, well, that's all fine and well, but when I have 60 hours of work that I have to put <laughs> I know. in, and I then I want to sleep for this many hours a night, which is less than what I should be getting, but okay, let's say I do this, and then I got to cook, and I got to drive to work two hours a day, one hour each way. There's no time left for me to do the things that bring me happiness. I get yeah. that. Totally get it. I don't disagree. I don't disagree at all. I go, that's when those little moments... Like the other day, this is stupid. And you know what? Make fun of me. It's fine. (laughs) I pulled out a pencil the other day. Listen, folks, I'm actively trying to find these moments where I go, that's awesome. Every day now, it's like my goal is to find those moments. I pulled out a pencil and I was like, look at the tip of that pencil. That's badass. (laughs) I I was like, I almost wanted to show it to somebody else. I was like, hey, look at this pencil tip. This pencil tip is on point. And then I'm like, haha, funny pun. You know, I'm that guy. You are. Yes, you're hysterical. But it's, it's those little things. I'm still doing my job. I still have to work. I'm still got the hustle. I'm one of the first people in the office and I'm one of the last people in the office. That is true every single day. And I can tell you, I don't get as much work done as probably half the people in my office because so much of my time is spent doing things that isn't related to actually doing architecture. Sure. So I don't have these every day. Ooh, I changed our personnel policy today. Mm-hmm. That doesn't happen. Though it yeah. takes an army of people and months and months of work to try to make this happen. And that's a big part of what I spend my time doing. So I got to find the pencil tips that are awesome moments in my day. Yeah. Some of those things that I'm talking about, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily have to be every day. You give yourself one hour a week. Start off with something like that. Or if it's 10 minutes today, just try to find something like that, I think, is what can get you there. Even if it's 10 seconds to appreciate a pencil tip. But you mean you have to start somewhere and it has to be small increments 
I think, that allow you to build up to do that. I mean, I'm not saying I do that. Some of the other things people might be arguing is, well, once you get older, then you got more free time. And that's a... <laughs> that's not true. <laughs> that's an error of youth because that is not how it yeah. works. At least up to maybe when you retire. But the older you get, the more stuff you have to do. I mean, I have less time now than I did when I was in my 30s. And I look at how much I wasted time in my 30s doing stuff. But you just have to consciously make the time and grow it little by little. And again, it doesn't happen all the time. But if you don't at least put that as a goal of saying, I'm going to do this, then it's never going to happen. You're just going to keep grinding through all the time, nonstop. We know there's actually some medical evidence to support the idea of establishing micro goals for yourself. Because your brain, when you achieve a goal, if you say, my goal is to make my bed, as an example. Yeah. Make my bed. When you make the bed and you mentally check the box that you did the thing that you're supposed to do, your brain rules. Dopamine. Yes, it releases feel-good juice into your head. Yeah. So the idea that you should establish and like recognize and capture these little moments is really, really important to your mental well-being. That's something you can do right now. You could right now, this very second, go, you know what? I'm going to go sharpen my pencils. (laughs) Yeah. You're sitting at your desk right now listening to this episode. Grab a pencil, go sharpen it, and go, look how awesome that point is. I nailed it. Your brain's going to reward you with happy juice. (laughs) Yeah. Do that. Those things are important. And I know we're kind of being a little glib about it, but look, I'm telling you. No. Yeah, I know. Mentally, you're putting yourself in the right place. I also know we're being glib about it, acting like, oh, it's just the easiest thing to do. I know it's not. It's not the easiest thing to do. It, It is difficult. You have to make yourself, force yourself to do these things in order for it to start to build up. It's just part of it. Nobody's perfect with that either. No. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. But it's also you changing your goal from passing your next ARE exam to having a really cool pencil tip. Sure. Like you got to change things in order to still accomplish this because the goal is to get those moments. It doesn't matter. They can be small. They can be big. You can have both. Really, ideally, have small ones all day, every day, and then have like a big one that happens every month or two months or quarter or whatever it is. Or it's every two weeks. It's listening to some awesome podcast about oh, it. <laughs> Reward yourself by listening to this podcast. <laughs> okay, I'm moving on after that. That's fine. So the last thing I put on here, and we've kind of already touched on this in a little ways, but it has to do with being happy outside of the office, mm, mm-hmm. which really the idea that removes the requirements that you have to find your happiness in the office. Yeah, at work. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, this comes down to. Let's see if I can articulate this up being a jerk. I certainly don't want to come across as a jerk. Good luck. (laughs) I know. Not everybody can work 60 hours a week and find happiness in that. Like They're like, I can't. Mm -hmm. But right now, most architects that I engage with, not just in my office, but I mean, you might have heard, I have a big digital footprint. So I get a lot of information from people in our profession. Everybody right now seems to be putting in a lot of time, a lot of time Mm -hmm. because everyone's really busy. Yeah, everybody is swamped. Yeah, and it makes it hard to do the things that maybe historically or traditionally brought you happiness when you weren't sitting at your desk. Maybe there's fewer, there's less time, so you have fewer of those moments, but I go, you still got to find it. It's specific to your personal goals as opposed to career goals. Mm -hmm. Look, one of my goals was I was going to get a little bit healthier. I was going to lose some weight because sitting around for two years wasn't good for me. Mm, I got a Peloton bike and I'm like, I'm going to kill it. And you know what? And I'm not killing it. I'm going to tell you right now, folks, I'm not killing it. Yeah. But I go, you know what? I probably would feel great if I go, you know what? Take 15 minutes. Go walk a mile. 15 minutes. That's not hard. I could do that. I could totally do that. Yeah. And so I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to set a goal for myself to at least go put a mile around the block at least once a week. (laughs) 
<laughs> I mean, let's be real. I don't want to like be disappointed because I said, oh, let's do it every day and then I don't hit it. Then it's more of a reflection of disappointment than like, I want to set my goal where I can achieve it. So, yeah. Well, I've been trying to say, because I've started doing that in about the past two weeks. I mean, I got a bike and I'm doing walking, I'm doing all this stuff. Of course, I'm not losing any weight, but I'm feeling a little bit better at least, sort of. <laughs> I'm I'm sore. I'm still in that sore stage. But at first I was like, yeah, I'm going to do it every day. And then it was like, well, no, I'm just going to try to make sure it happens like four times right. a week. It's reasonable. That's it. So it's not every day. It's like kind of every other day, maybe one day or two days I double up. But because I knew if I said, if I have to do it every day and the first day that it didn't happen, I would be like, oh, it's blown. Yeah. Like, forget it. So I'm just like, you know what? This many days a week, as long as that's happening and I can build something towards it. But it is trying to take that time. And do some stuff that's not, not work-related. I would say that it's, you don't even have to be happy with work. Well, you don't have to draw your happiness from work. Correct. It's kind of what this thing is about. Not 100% of your happiness has to come from work. And for some people, 0% of their happiness comes from work. I think if, if it's your career, that may be a little problematic. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Because I think you have to draw some happiness from what you do for a living if it's your career. If you're working part-time somewhere and you're, I don't know, whatever it is it's not your end game, then okay. But if you can't draw a little bit of happiness from what you do as a career, then I think that goes back to the very beginning about, well, maybe you're not doing the right thing. But also realize that 100% of your happiness doesn't have to come from your job either. That's probably not the best way to live either. 0% or 100%, those aren't good. It's somewhere in, in the middle. And it goes back to the idea I've talked about before and a couple of times is this work-life balance thing, and you have to find your own balance, and it's not necessarily this 50-50 idea, but there's some balance in there, this equilibrium that works for you as an individual. And so that could be 20-80, it could be 60-40, it could be whatever, whatever. But you've got to find some happiness in and out of your workplace in order for you to feel better about both, in my mind. Well, I think you said that very well. It was a nice kind of a summary of the entire conversation, because <laughs> I, I was like, well, all right. I don't want to put myself on a soapbox and say, look, everybody, let me drop some well-seasoned insight on you. You should try to be happy. Okay, yeah. thanks, genius. We all, <laughs> we know that. We know that. So yeah. really, between what you said and just the idea that, hey, it's hard. Everyone's struggling. You're not alone. I'm going through it. I think everyone's going through it. Well, I mean, everybody in academia is going through it, too. I mean, all of my professor friends and buddies are the same way. Different reasons, but it's the same thing. I mean, the pandemic and the amount of work that we're having to do now and all this sort of stuff. I mean, it's all weighing heavily, much more than it was pre-pandemic. I think just something happened in all that. But yeah, I think it's a lot of folks. Yeah. Well, I've been spending a lot of time thinking for my own well-being, how can I solve it? Andrew, you and I have talked about how happiness related to the blog and the podcast and my job and the demands on my time that keep me from doing things that maybe I would find happiness in doing, you know, like. Mm -hmm. Hey, I'm spending a lot of brain calories to do these things that I don't really want to do. And so it's making me miserable. So at a certain point you go, don't do it. Mm -hmm. You got to take some steps, but there's incremental steps yeah. that you can take like sharpen pencils and sketching in my iPad, learning something new mm -hmm. that don't take a lot of time that are already happening. Taking a walk around yeah, the block. They're already happening. The point is just to put yourself mentally in a place where you recognize that that's happening and that it's amazing or it's cool. And that's really just telling yourself that's cool. That's worthwhile. That's all it is. I yeah. don't think this has to be really too complicated. Pick some smaller things that make you happy and don't just look at the big stuff. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then it takes effort, unfortunately. It's not just going to happen. Everything that's worth doing, it takes effort. Nothing that takes yeah. zero effort is really going to do much for you. Just know that that's the truth. So because this has been a, a fairly serious... <laughs> I was going to say, if the pandemic has taught me anything, sitting around doing nothing only gains weight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. I think that's... I think most people... You know, there's going to be that reference, the freshman 15, the pandemic 40 or something, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Let's move on to the end of the show, which is the what's the rank for this episode. Mm -hmm. And I have a little concern over the topics that we're ranking. We picked a couple and we chuckle and we laugh about them. Yeah. But then we don't do those ones. And, <laughs> you know, yeah, like, I, know. I think we should do top three, bottom three planets, you know, like <laughs> I got to do some research. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. The gravity on this one will be tough. So, you know, I'm putting my bottom three. Yeah. Nice pun. We can do that one. I know mine. It's easy you know money. plants. You're already in for that. Yeah. But we're not doing plants yeah. today. I know we're not. I know we're going to rank. We're doing something even more. Important. This one's important. Important. Yeah. More critical. We're going to rank the top three deli meats. <laughs> you know what? Yeah. This is important to me because you know why? I don't go out for sandwiches because I go, I can make as good a sandwich as anyone else can. Yes, you is don't. Is that cocky? Is that cocky? I don't know if that is. Is it? Co I don't know. Kind of yes, kind of no. I don't know if it's cocky or if it's cheap. Well, so I don't go get sandwiches. <laughs> like, I would never go out and go, ooh, I'll take the club sandwich. I go, why would I do that? Like, I can yeah. make a club sandwich at my house. I'll go get a sandwich that I can't make. Sure. Like, I'd go get a Philly cheesesteak somewhere because I can't make Philly cheesesteak in my house. Mm -hmm. You know, not as good as the ones I can go get. I get it. So yeah. deli meats has like a certain, it exists in a very particular kind of way in my life. The deli meats do. Mm. Part of it is the, sure. are they the top deli meats because I eat them the most or because I like them the most? Because I'll tell you, one of the ones I like the most, I don't eat a lot of, but I love it. Interesting. You know, so. Yeah, I was having a hard time with it as well because I was like, well, I know what I eat the most. So I've got the top one deli meat, <laughs> but I don't know about the other ones. And it's like, mm. Three, like getting three. Had we done five, I'd have been blown. It would have been like, no. I it was hard for it. me to do number three. Yeah. And I'll tell you, the one that's my number three, not a, I mean, it's nobody is going to say yes. I'm not going <laughs> to win this one. I'm going to tell you that right now. You know, it's funny. It's like yesterday, I just made this giant sandwich creation that I saw on TikTok and it was so involved to just make this stupid sandwich yesterday. So it's funny they were talking about this. I just made like a sandwich with six different deli mm. meats on it. Okay, here you go. I asked the question. We're going to go reverse order. We're going to work our way to number one. So number three for you. <sighs> number three. And again, I'm, I consider this a deli meat because it's on sandwiches a lot. It's pepperoni. Okay. All right. Not the little ones like on pizza, but like no, the I bigger four inch diameter pepperoni. Yeah. Because I like pepperoni in general. I don't really eat it on pizza, but I like it just normal. Like a slice some with cheese so look you don't got to convince me that was almost my number three and in fact we probably buy that kind of pepperoni second most in our house as snacks i got mm -hmm. a kid in the house like she just walks yeah. in and grabs like yeah five saucer sized slices of, of pepperoni so yeah i get that <laughs> yeah pepperoni i send it with my youngest all the time pepperoni and cheese for lunch she won't oh, there you go so yeah pepperoni all right and yours my number three is liverwurst or brunswager Love it. 
Yes. Seriously? See, I knew I was going to get, you know what? Come at me, folks. I know I've been saying that. I don't know if it's because when I was a kid, that was what. Why do you, I was like, yeah, why do you like that? I I like pate. I like, I like liver. Really? Yes, I do. Uh, I like it a lot. I'm not a liver fan. I'm not a liver fan. I don't like like fried liver, but. My mom made, we ate a lot of fried liver when I was a kid. Because my mom, liver mm. and onions, man, she thought that was the greatest thing ever. <laughs> yeah, my dad did too. And it was like, nope, hard pass. Yeah, I didn't like it. But I will tell you that my dad used to make, and Oscar Mayer makes this one where it's square and it's got like a little quarter inch ring of fat. You, do you know the kind I'm talking about? Yeah. He yeah. used to get that. I didn't know what I was eating. And I'm like, this is delicious. And I loved it. <laughs> and to this day, I still like it. I still like Interesting. it. That's wild. I never eat it. Yeah. I never eat it. If it was in the house, it would make me happy. I would have some happiness. That's funny. Yeah, for sure. That's funny. That's like me saying bologna. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? I ate a lot of bologna as a kid. That's for sure. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Growing up, I used to eat a whole lot of bologna. My dad, he really liked fried bologna sandwich. Yeah. So he'd fry a bologna and do that. So. Yeah. And then it would cup up and then you could like. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Look, I'm right there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. What's your your number two? (laughs) My number two is going to be roast beef. Okay, interesting. But like really thin sliced. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get it. I mean, all of it's just really thin, but yeah, roast beef. I was thinking maybe not because my only problem with the roast beef is it's got to be good because you can get really bad. It's either really good or it's really terrible. Yes. To me. Yes. <laughs> so it's good because if it's bad, I mean, it's not a lot of fat and it's like stringy and, and I'm, that's not what I want, right? I want good roast beef. All sounds terrible. When it's good, it's good. When it's bad, it's the worst thing you've ever put in your mouth probably, but- Good roast beef. You know, I like roast beef, but it probably wouldn't crack my top 10. Mm. Not because I don't like it. I just kind of go, I like a lot of things more than- Well- The idea of having a roast beef sandwich doesn't come up very often. uh, Because I like roast beef, I'd have to put like a horseradish mayonnaise mm -hmm. on it. I'd have to do that. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay, my number two is the very generic ham. Mm. Interesting. You know what? I figured that was going to be your number one, because I know you eat ham like crazy. Well, you know what? I do. I eat a lot of ham sandwiches. Mm. I love them. I love a ham. A good ham sandwich, man, it's it's great. I love a good ham sandwich. I do not like ham. I mean, I like, I hate to say this, I like real ham, like Thanksgiving ham or Christmas ham ham, but I do not like ham. Yeah, like spiral cut ham. Yeah, I do not like ham deli meat at all. I just something yeah. I never have. Well, I mean, as far as in, in my mind, I like ham. Sure. In all forms. Forms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, so we're down to number one. This is a big moment. Yeah, it's, it's not a big really reveal. Not a big reveal for me. Wait, wait. I'm gonna guess. I'm gonna guess. Sure, guess. Turkey. Yeah, of course, turkey. <laughs> because that's actually the only deli meat I actually really ever buy. Right now, I have turkey in my fridge, and yeah, I've got like four different kinds. If I make a sandwich at home, it's only turkey. That's the only deli meat, other than when I'm doing something really specific, that I ever buy. So it's number one by like <laughs> a lot. Yeah, like last time when we were talking about holidays or something, your Thanksgiving was one through 54. Right. To me, turkey is one through 54, and then the others start after that. So, I mean, it's turkey for sure. All right. Can you guess what my number one is? I have no idea because I thought it was going to be ham. Well, see, this is why I can't be put in a box. It's because (laughs) what I eat the most of isn't necessarily my favorite. I haven't eaten liverwurst in 10 years. Yeah. Well, but again, it's fine. In the spirit of today's episode, I go, you know what? If I open the fridge and all the deli meats are there. That one, I'd probably be like, ooh, I need to make an effort to eat that one because mm. that's special. Yeah, so I have no idea. No idea. Okay, so here it is. You probably had a shot. Is pastrami. Oh, all right. Well, okay. Pastrami or corned beef. I was kind of like, uh, you know, I, they give me the I same vibe, you. even though they're not the same, but yeah, I do like a good pastrami sandwich. Mm. Interesting. 
even though I, for every one pastrami sandwich, I eat 25 ham sandwiches. That's like 17 ham sandwiches, yeah. Yes, it's a lot. So. I'll give you that, though. I mean, that's not bad. Pastrami's not bad. I was thinking it was going to be something crazy off the wall, but that's not bad. That's pretty normal. Well, you know, if someone said, okay, give me one that you hate, everyone would say liverwurst if they thought of it. They go, that's the worst. And I'm like, eh, I love it. It's top, top of my list. Oh, I would go with olive loaf. You know, we used to get olive loaf when I was a kid, too. Now I'm going, what was wrong with my parents? Getting olive loaf and liverwurst? That was what we had in the house? It was probably the cheapest stuff. Maybe. That other one, they've got one that's got nuts in it, too. Mortadella? Yeah, or something like that. It's the one that's got pistachio? Pistachio. Yeah. Nope. Pass. Pass, pass, pass. pass <laughs> There's pass. nothing wrong with that one. Pass. Yeah. Nope. I don't want that you kind know, of stuff. I don't think that one's bad. No. I don't want crunchy. <laughs> I don't want my meat to crunch. <laughs> I mean, which is funny because I do fried chicken or fried stuff that crunches is great, but inside the meat, I don't want to crunch. Maybe that's the thing. Yeah, I, that's that's reasonable. That's reasonable. So, yeah. There you go. There it is. I'm really looking forward to getting hit for being a BTS fan and for putting liverwurst on my list. <laughs> I'm going to get it. I'm going to bring you some liverwurst if I ever come see you again. Don't do that. No, I don't want car liverwurst. Sounds like... I don't want to sit in your car for three hours. Pass. Car liverwurst. Yes. They make these things called coolers. Yeah, you know, no. it's fine. All right. Or I can pick it up at the grocery store by your house before I get there. Okay. Yeah. If you want to see me eat it, I guess in proof, I will deliver on that one. So, okay. We've been at this long enough. So I'm going to say we're done. Thanks for being with us today for episode 103, Architects and the Art of Being Happy. Special thanks to our media partners, Building Design and Construction, for their ongoing support of the Life of an Architect podcast. Want to get every new episode automatically downloaded? Make sure to hit that follow or subscribe button on your podcast player of choice so you can get alerted every time we publish a stupendous new episode. If you've got a few moments and feel motivated to give the show some appreciation, we would love it if you would give us a review and hopefully a five-star, that is an awesome pencil tip rating. To get even more content, head over to lifeofanarchitect.com for blog posts, links, and info about this delightful episode and all the website has to offer. You can even add your own voice and join the conversation. Thanks so much for tuning in. Take it easy, everybody. Cheers.